In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. Surely you will have noticed the season change. The church is in purple. We began with the ancient custom of the church of singing the great litany. And now we have these two, in particular, iconic lessons. The one from Hebrew scripture coming from Genesis, telling us a little piece of the creation story, and then the story from Matthew's gospel, in which Jesus is driven into the wilderness. Stories that, if you've been around the church for any length of time, should automatically cue up images for you of Lent. Images of wilderness, themes of scarcity. These two texts in particular sort of feed on each other. They actually are inevitably intrinsically connected to each other because one sort of fulfills and almost undoes the other. So if we start with Genesis, we have sort of one of the last pieces of the creation story, right? Before this, we get the part where God creates the heavens and the earth and separates the water from the land and makes all the animals, the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and all the things that creep and crawl on the earth. And it's a descriptive passage about God creating. And then the text tells us that God still wasn't done, that something was missing, and that something was us. God wanted to love, to give love, to share love, and so God creates humankind to receive love and gives us free will so that we can return it and share it. And at the end of this, God says, all of this is good. And then we get this part of Genesis that we heard this morning. And it's a tricky part of Genesis, to be fair. It starts with Adam and Eve in the garden, which we believe is lush and green and beautiful. Paradise on earth, where all their needs are met. Everyone lives in harmony. Everything is peaceful, just like God intended. And the text tells us that the serpent comes and has this conversation with Eve, and the serpent, of course, is crafty. And the serpent, we should identify also with the same voice that we hear in the gospel, the person with whom Jesus is conversing. We'll come to that in a minute. And the serpent and Eve have this conversation, and she is tempted to eat of the fruit of the tree that God has said you should never even touch. And she's tempted because what the serpent presents her is something compelling. It's very easy, I think, for tradition to sort of blame everything on Eve, but truthfully, it's a compelling thing. The serpent tells her that she will know the difference between good and evil, that she will be able to be like God, that she will see. Now, which one of us would not find that compelling? The ability to know and to understand, the ability to be like God, to feel like we have some power in ourselves to save ourselves and, and maybe even to save and make better the lives of the people we love. Is that not compelling? And so she eats of the fruit and she hands some to Adam Adam eats too, and then unfortunately they discover that the serpent has lied. They are not like God. And what they've inherited is sight that perhaps they wish they didn't have. And here too for generations we've sort of interpreted the story like it's about shame, right? The end of the text says that they discover their nakedness and they start knitting things together to cover themselves. But the truth is this, all of this text was never intended to be a literal, scientific unfolding of how God created. It's a spiritual story. It's intended to 
share with us something that is spiritual, to teach us the truth about something that God wants us to know. And in this case, it's to teach us the truth about human nature and the truth about the nature of the love of God. And human nature is visible in the archetype that is Adam and Eve, who reach for more than they're able to handle, who want more than they have, and who realize once they've done that, that they've made a mistake. Because what they were promised isn't real. Instead, what they lose is their ability to be at one with each other, with God and with creation. What they lose is the ability to be vulnerable, to be their full selves and to still be safe in the midst of creation. For generations, we've interpreted this like there's some kind of shame in their bodies, and that's not actually true. God creates them and says, this is good. So as long as we are healthy and living within God's law, there's nothing there to be ashamed of. What there is, is a loss of peace and security, a loss of the ability to be both vulnerable and saved, to be safe, to feel whole, to live in the way that God intended. And I have to believe that after they do that, they have this moment that, at least to some extent, we've all experienced, where you, you sort of look behind you at the mistake you just made and wonder, oh God, what have I done? And then, if you look at the lasting effects of that and realize it's undoable, it's a heavy burden. And that brings us to the gospel, the lasting effects. In the gospel that we've just heard, Jesus is driven out into the wilderness by the Spirit. And the wilderness, of course, is such a good metaphor for Lent. There's nothing out there but rocks and dust. It's hot in the daytime, it's cold at night, there's no water, there's no people, and if you do meet people, they're probably people that are out to steal from you or take something from you. And Jesus goes into this wilderness, which is quite literally the opposite of the Garden of Eden, the opposite of sort of the peace and harmony that God created and filled with joy and abundance and blessing. There's nothing out there, and he goes out there alone, at least seemingly. He takes no person with him. He takes very little with him, and the text tells us he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, and then this same tempter, this same voice appears and lies. And it's three sort of classic temptations. The first is about physical needs. If you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread so that you can eat, because after 40 days you must be hungry. So show your power. Eat something. Not a big deal. And in the second one, the tempter appeals to Jesus' sense of pride and importance. If you're really the son of God, show me that. Let God show you how important you are. Throw yourself down and certainly the angels will come and get you. It's an appeal to his pride, to his sense of importance. And then last, there's the appeal to power and wealth. They go up to a high mountain and he shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth, all the splendor that could be his, if he would just choose not the path that God is unrolling before him, but the path of individualism, the path of materialism, the path of wealth and power. Three classic temptations that appear for all of us all throughout our lives in many, many different formats, over and over again. And the temptation is to do what Adam and Eve 
end up doing at the end of that Genesis text, to sort of hide themselves away, to barricade and isolate themselves with those temptations, with food, with resources, with power, with privilege, with pride, with importance, with status. Because that, again, is the real loss in that text. It's not the loss of being able to walk around without clothes. It's the larger metaphor of what we've lost. Our need to hide ourselves, to secure ourselves, to feel like we're in control. And in response to all of these temptations, Jesus, all he does is breathe out scripture. Because contrary to what it looks like, he's not gone into the wilderness alone. In fact, we get a clue about that just at the beginning of the text. The the very first thing that you heard in the gospel was that right after his baptism in the River Jordan, the Spirit drives him out. And that baptism is the moment when that same Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove and says, You are my beloved, my son, in whom I am well pleased. And so when Jesus is driven into the wilderness, he's driven into the wilderness not alone, but with the power of this love, with the power of God who has named and claimed him and unrolls this path before him, gives him work to do and part of the story of salvation that only he can do, and yet in this moment and in every moment after this, he still has to choose it, despite the many temptations that surround him. He goes into the wilderness completely vulnerable, leaning only on the power of God, And in that way, he undoes the fall in the Genesis text. He becomes the archetype. In fact, Romans is a a longer summary of something he says, St. Paul says in the first letter to the Corinthians, which is, as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. So in Christ will all be made alive. He becomes the new archetype and teaches us how to live how to walk into the wilderness and look at the path God lays before us and choose it. The invitation of this text and the invitation of this season is to walk into the wilderness of Lent knowing that we are not alone, knowing that in our baptism we too are claimed and named and called beloved and given the power to choose to walk the path God puts in front of us and to choose to send temptation and evil away. And this is very clear at the end of the gospel. The last piece says that Jesus sends the devil away, and then the angels appear. He sends the devil away, and then the angels appear. And he's connected again, concretely, physically, materially, to the love and the power of God. The invitation here for us is to know that we too, as beloved creatures, created out of God's love and called good, have the same power over the things that assail us, as the colic said. We have the same power to send temptation and evil away. We have, with God's help, the power to choose to walk that path that God unfolds in front of us, or not. So I'll ask you this morning to consider how in these next 40 days you will identify the voices that lie to you the obstacles that keep you from God, the choices, the patterns that isolate you, that encourage you to 
build up this wall and this barricade around you that's about control and resources, that encourages you to hide and not to be vulnerable, that limits your connection with God and the people around you? How is it in this season that you can undo for yourself, with God's help, the fall that we hear about in that first text? How can you wander into the wilderness with Jesus knowing that you already have within you the power of love that changes everything and can invite you into new life? Where are the voices that lie to you? And how can you silence them? Where are the temptations that take you away from the path that God is unfolding before you? How can you send them away? I invite you in this season to look carefully at the world around you, to look carefully at the ways that you hide and at the limitations that this world puts on you, and to remember that you already have inside you everything you need to live in right relationship with God and with each other. Amen.